Skeptic Hangout. This is the place where we sit back, relax, and discuss some of humanity's most controversial concepts through the lens of skepticism. We have with us today the excitable, pedantic, and colorful Richard Gilliver, the enthusiastic and witty yet formless Richard Gill, and myself, the energetic, passionate chatterbox Laura. Today we will be discussing philosophy. So grab your English tea or your non-fat vanilla latte with caramel drizzle, get oh, comfy, and get join us. Today, as... <laughs> and get, oh my gosh, you threw me off. Sorry, I threw you off. I'm sorry. <laughs> so get comfy and join us as we unpack life, the universe, and everything in just one hour. So before we get started, I kind of wanted to explain something from the last few episodes. We have Richard and Richard, and it's been kind of difficult to determine which Richard we're talking about. So I've been using last names. So Richard Gilliver, I've been calling Gilliver. And then Richard Gill, I've been calling Gill. So if you guys have been confused as to why those names just randomly popped up while we're talking, I just kind of wanted to throw that out there so that everybody was less confused and so that you know who I'm talking about or who they're referring to when they refer to each other. I think it's slightly more confusing as well, because I might say Richard when referring to the other Richard, because I'm almost definitely not referring to myself in the third person. So it's, there's, there's lots, of, lots, of, lots of naming going on. Yes. So if you're watching the video, it's a lot less confusing. But if you're listening to the podcast, um, we'll try to stick to last names as often as possible just to keep you guys a little less confused. Um, although I'm sure your guys' voices over time will become familiar to people and it won't be as big of a problem. So because I... the guys from Yorkshire have such different voices. Yeah, but you guys do have different voices. I, I can tell the difference. So anyway, um, which one of you wants to take announcements this morning? Uh, yeah, me, please. Uh, I want to just bring to everybody's attention that our very own Laura has uh, recently been on the non-profits and on the Ethan and Jenna show. You can catch both of those shows on, shows on YouTube. Uh, she's done a brilliant job on both of them. Uh, I just wanted to get that out there. She was on both of them this past Sunday. So, yeah, uh, regarding the Ethan and Jenna show, I interviewed Jenna about meditation on Friday, which was broadcast on this last Saturday. So you can also catch that on my own channel. Awesome. Sweet. So today's topic is philosophy and we have not talked in advance about where this conversation is going to go because that would just make this too formal and not as fun so um rabbit holes and lots of rabbit holes so um i have an idea for how to open up this episode but do either of you want to take it first no i'll yeah. go with it okay yeah. so for me um i love like just studying and learning about philosophy but i'm seriously an amateur so mm. i thought it would be kind of fun to start with all of the confusing um, labels and words and stuff that philosophers wow. use. And I'm not talking about sitting here and defining them, but okay. So you have the word like um, epistemology, which is kind of like etymology, which is kind of like entomology, right? <laughs> and how do you keep them all straight? So 
I thought we could sort of break down um, just a little bit, um, not getting too much into definitions, but just talk about the language and the words and how confusing it can be to even talk philosophically until you speak the language. Because the lots of the initial philosophers were ancient Greek chaps um, with brilliant beards. I mean, philosophers are generally on their A game when it comes to beards. Um, but like, so lots of the, the words to do with philosophy and all those different sort of sub-branches of, of it all uh, come from Greek words, which are always in English, really posh, fancy ones that we don't use every day. So, you know, yeah, epistemology we don't talk about, whereas knowing stuff we do talk about um so yeah there are loads of words i mean should we just write off some words that we can think of to do with it like epistemology and ontology and deontology and yeah <laughs> um, i mean there's just words words and words and words so let's start with um epistemology which is the the studying of studying it's like the pursuit of knowledge right and so it should be relatively simple but I hear people all the time saying like, well, my epistemology is this and what well, your epistemology differs from my epistemology. And to me, that sounds like a bunch of hogwash. It sounds like epistemology is like saying your science is different from my science. Um, it's, it's nonsensical to me. So to me, what method you use to get to epistemology or to get to a better understanding of reality is what you're really talking about when you say my epistemology is different from yours. It is a method, and I've had lots of conversations, lots and lots and lots and lots of conversations about epistemology. And, uh, you know, it's, it, is, it is literally the method. I like the way Eric uh, Murphy um, phrases it, and he, he calls it a, a toolbox, he calls it your epistemological toolbox. And that's such a good of way of phrasing it. Because I've got more, I've got a much more blunt way of phrasing it with people. I just tell people they've got bad epistemology. But the the way Eric phrases it is that you've got an epistemological toolbox, which is really good because you can add things to that toolbox. Uh, it, it's the way you investigate the world, and you can always add better methods to it. So there's no like formal epistemological method. Like that's what gets me is like you talk about Unlike the scientific. Science. What's that? Unlike science. Yeah, exactly. It's so vague and so broad and it's so up to each individual that um, when it comes to philosophy in general, um, I'm looking for the black and white answers. And I think philosophy is all shades of gray. I mean, correct me well, if I'm wrong. I think philosophy is all about just big questions, isn't it? Like proper big questions. And like when we're thinking about epistemology, it's like, how do we know anything? Like, how do we know what we know? How do we know what we don't know? Um, I, and I don't know if, I mean, a, a lot of the time with philosophical, philosophical questions, it's not even necessarily about getting to an answer, but just the process of thinking about it. And I think to a lot of people, sort of the man on the street, um, it could be, you know, philosophy is probably seen as a bit of a airy-fairy sort of loose, cloudy sort of thing. Whereas actually there are some parts of philosophy that have like real world implications, you know, when you look at like ethics and uh, and and those sorts of things and even like people care about aspects of philosophy like aesthetics you know th- things about how beautiful things are and pleasing and stuff like that um so yeah I think it can seem really ethereal um but also does have some practical applications in real life so that's yeah. a good oh go ahead 
No, go. You go. I was going to say that's a really good point. It might be a good opportunity to jump back and talk about just what philosophy as the broader um, topic actually means. Because um, from my perspective, like philosophy really is just the thought process of um, how we think about and determine reality, right? It's super broad. Um, in fact, the sciences used to fall under philosophy. They used to be called natural yeah. philosophy, right? And um, so it, it really just is this broad umbrella for thinking about reality. Well, that because the word, well, philosophy originally in the Greek, philos means the love of or liking of, and then sophia meaning uh, <clears throat> meaning sort of knowledge or wisdom. So like the love of knowledge or the love of wisdom. And I think the study of anything originally was, yeah, like you said, described as philosophy. Richard, Gilliver, Gilliver, the new yes. name. You, you've both just pretty much said what I was going to say. Uh, my my philo- one of one of my philosophy professors at university uh, just described it exactly like that. It's the way we ask questions about the world. It, it's as simple as that. That's what. Anytime you're engaging that behavior of asking a question about the world, you're engaging in philosophy. That is its basis, me basic meaning. Yeah. So do you think that people can come to know truths or find answers to things using just philosophy? Ooh, that's, <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because I'm actually engaged in asking myself that question about a particular philosophical argument at the moment in a conversation I'm having with someone. Um, and the problem I'm having is if the the particular argument that they're using is shown to be true, it's ultimately using what we know through science as the evidence for that truth. Now, technically, because it's a philosophical argument, this is where it gets slightly complex, because it's a philosophical argument, technically... If it's shown to be true, it is true. However, because it's based on scientific evidence, and that evidence over time could change, that leads into a very awkward position for the philosophical argument. Because once the philosophical argument is shown to be true, it is true. However... That's not how scientific evidence works. Scientific evidence is tentative. Always open to be disproved. And yeah. yeah. And if, 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 the, if the evidence it's based on changes, yet the argument, argument is shown to be absolutely true, then what state are we in there? I don't know. This is I a real question for me at the minute. So my feeling about like finding truth in philosophy is I think it's possible to say something that's true while having a philosophical discussion. But I don't think that just thinking about a problem alone is enough to conclude whether or not that problem is true. Like what you said, I think it always kind of, it has to include some sort of external evidence to make it concretely true. And of course, um, when we talk about what's absolute truth, like what can we know to be absolutely true, that becomes hugely problematic. And I hope we can get into that more later. But um, to me, it seems like you can't, argue your way into a truth you have to demonstrate a truth does that does that make sense yeah it does and i think the uh, in in response to your question about can we actually find answers to those questions i think it depends very much on the question if we're talking about you know 
the nature of reality or whatever you know if it's you know questions that seem that sort of big philosophical thing like that you can then investigate using scientific methods and principles in reality you can then potentially get to an answer you know like people may have wondered philosophically in the past you know why does the sun go through the sky every day you know why is that something that happens every day and we understand now about the rotation of the earth and orbits and gravity and um photons and we understand all the science of that and can get to very concrete answers but if you're thinking about questions like why are we here or um you know what you know it's those um yeah those sorts of questions which you can't necessarily investigate practically using the scientific method um that are still hanging around and under that umbrella of philosophy i guess uh whereas all the bits that we can answer by investigating we call science now like i think they've, they've like migrated towards towards that as a as a sort of label for for those investigations those questions it kind yeah, of... and there is a term in philosophy for that kind of reasoning and that's a priori it, which means reason coming to knowledge through reasoning uh, as opposed to the scientific method which is coming to knowledge through investigation yeah. and and testing and things like that so what would be some examples of a priori knowledge like things that we can say oh we know this to be true but we didn't have any sort of concrete investigative process or or evidence to back it up uh, I'd, I'd i'd say things like abstract knowledge like mathematics mm-hmm. that's 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 we know it's true but we've reasoned it to be true. We've also tested it in the real world, but we can see it through reason. We we can argue, we can make an argument for it through reason. But like, there's no such thing as the number one. No, no, there's, I'm trying to think of the words that someone, uh, who I uh, have disputes with on a regular basis <laughs> uses for it, and I can't quite get the word. But yeah. Yeah. Mathematics yeah. and uh, what other examples are there? I mean, does that go into the realm of like uh, some of the arguments? Like we hear lots about, like the Kalam cosmological argument for uh, the existence of the universe, and sort of those ideas that you can't necessarily, in and of themselves, investigate. But kind of, it's that sort of those things that follow logic and, and that sort of thing. Are we in the right realm? Yeah, I mean, Plato, Aristotle, and uh, who was the other guy? I can't remember the other guy. Okay. Was that? Aquinas, Aquinas, I think, were the first ones that came up with the uh, uh, first cause argument or cosmological argument. Uh, it, there are different versions of it. The most famous one I'm sure we're all aware of is the Kalam, which was uh, a, a further um, advancement on those earlier ones. And, and the first cause argument is just that something had to have created the universe. Uh, it, it must it, it's it's you know it, the universe can't have come by about by itself something must have created it um so yeah so I guess where I get the most confused in terms of because um, I think philosophy is very very useful but in terms of being useful coming up with concrete truths I'm still kind of like 50 50 on that like um, I'm still not entirely convinced because even with mathematics, like it, the way we prove that or the way that it gets backed up is by its physical application. So we can yeah. say like, you know, numbers are imaginary and they're descriptive and so is language for that matter, like the words we're using now. Yeah. Um, however, like for them to even be useful, they have to have some sort of concrete application in this world. 
And um, you can't, I mean, I know that there's a lot of like theoretical stuff out there that they're still working on, but ultimately to make that mathematical equation useful to us, it has to eventually somehow be applicable to the real world. Um, so then we talk about arguments like the Kalam cosmological that are totally untestable. And it makes me wonder if philosophy is, I don't know, I think it's more useful to generate the questions and generate the interest and to generate the, um, the desire to go look for the answers. But then I think it, it always comes back to, and I could be wrong. This is where I want a correction. Like I want examples of where it always seems to come back to, you need um, some sort of demonstration in the real world, world to determine that this truth that we've come across is a valid one. See, I actually agree with you, although I disagree on the column being untestable. I think the column is testable. Um, oh, sweet. Because... Let's talk about that. No, answer that question first, but that's cool. No, I, no, I agree with you on the other point. I, I agree with you on the point of, I think you, you're going to have, you can't make just a purely philosophical argument because every time you kind of go down the road of trying to prove it, you've got nothing as a yardstick to measure it by. You need that yardstick. So it has to be, to my mind, and again, I'm open to being, and I've got a feeling, I've, I've let me interject here because I need to say some. I've specifically asked someone who I really, I, I admire their philosophical brain to watch this episode once it's released hmm. and actually pick apart my arguments. So, oh, good. <laughs> you're on, you're I've, being uh, tested. I've, um, so I'm, 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 very, uh, I'm very aware that on, on my own request that everything I say is going to be pulled apart. But as, as far as I'm aware... Um, I'm not sure that there is anything that can be proposed philosophically that is purely philosophical without having a yardstick to measure it by. And if there was, I don't think you could really come to a conclusion. And an example I've given recently, which the aforementioned person who I really admire did pull apart and pick me up on, was the example that I gave of, uh, which I used to use until recently, that regarding infinity, because the argument I had was that you either had a beginning and an end to time, you had no beginning and no end, or you had a beginning and no end, or no beginning and an end. They were the four possibilities to my mind. And without a physical yardstick to measure them by, there was absolutely no way that you could tell between them. You, you couldn't say just by reasoning alone, one is more likely than the other. However, this person <laughs> did put to me that they aren't the only four options because you've what got cyclical... I can, I can only get those four in my head. The, the There's like options, a loop loops and cyclical uh, ideas and things like that which i'd not accounted for and the so. whole idea of like when when movement stops time stops like t equals zero or whatever like there's yeah. a lot mathematically um that makes time very mysterious to us yeah but that that was my basic uh understanding of your point laura then and, and that was an example i did use i still think it's true that without a physical yardstick there is nothing you can you can give an advantage over one philosophical argument to another. 
without but, having a physical yardstick to measure it by. I think you may have just stumbled across the one thing that I can think of, and that's the discussion of infinity. Because I love talking about infinity. Um, because there's more than one type of infinities, and some infinities are bigger than other infinities, and yet all of them are equally big. And they're not even actually like measurable or a number. It's just the idea of something going on forever. Right. So you have the concept. Ah, see, I did this on purpose. (laughs) This is for you, Gil. No, um, the idea that, okay, so there's an infinite number of numbers, right? But there's also an infinite number of even numbers and an infinite number of odd numbers. So you'd think that the infinity of total numbers is bigger than the infinity of odd numbers by two, but it's not because both infinities go on forever. Right. And the fact that there's an infinity between every single number between one and two, there's an infinite number of numbers. Um, And so just that whole concept of infinity, you can't measure that or demonstrate it. But that's something that you can discuss in philosophical terms. Like, granted, it kind of gets lumped in with mathematics, like you were saying. But I think that's square in the realm of philosophy. And so I may I may be changing my mind here that that's that's one example that I can think of with the a priori where there's no physical way of testing that and there's no physical evidence of it but it's something that we can discuss um it at least exists in concept but is it is it something that the com- we can come to a conclusion over which is the important point it's, it's not that we can't discuss something it's whether we can come to a conclusion and say you know person a's idea of infinity or person b's idea is more likely than the other one can we can we make those judgments? So if your question is like, can we prove that those judgments exist in real life? Um, like, is there somewhere where there exists the numbers one through infinity? Um, I don't know. Like, <laughs> or, I mean, is that even what you're asking? Or are you talking about like, we can discuss the concept of know. it? Well, we can discuss the concept. I'm not even sure what I'm asking. <laughs> we, can, we can certainly discuss the concept of it. But can we come to some kind of conclusion that one is uh, a favourable idea over the other? Or are there literally different infinities which apply to different things? And if so, because this actually does come up in arguments, uh, regarding as uh, it comes up in the cosmo- Kalam, cosmological argument a lot, although it shouldn't do because it's, it's kind of beyond that. It's beyond the beginning. But it does come up in a lot of these arguments about... Uh, well, we can't have a beginningless amount of time because of infinities and certain infinities. So how can you say that one infinity is more likely than another in that particular scenario? Or are you just choosing one because it favours your particular argument? So you're talking about what, what things can be infinite then? So we might say numbers, like imaginary numbers might be infinite, but time may or may not be infinite. So that's what you're saying. Like, how do you determine? Yeah, the, 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 the arguments, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get out of my depth here. <laughs> I'm, I'm being already very out of careful. my <laughs> I'm being very careful how I do this. The arguments are, as I understand them, that are being made by the proponents, that you cannot have uh, an infinite regress because of certain infinities, but they cite particular infinities. Now, my difficulty with that is, why are they choosing that particular set of infinities to use to back up their argument? Is it simply because 
it backs up their argument? Or is it more probable than the other sets of infinity that there are? And this is the difficulty I have with people doing that because it seems to me people do only use them because it backs up their argument. In none of these conversations I've ever seen has anyone said, this set of infinities is more likely under this set of circumstances because what they tended to say is this set of infinities is true because it's been proposed. So therefore, that's good enough for me. Yep. And I so, think that that, that that demonstrates a really big problem in the realm of philosophy. And I, I include um, the discussion of religion in this context, in the realm of philosophy, in terms of what is right, what is wrong, what can we know, what can't we know. Um, I think that is a problem across the board is we have so many different definitions of every single facet of philosophy that people will pick and choose which ones apply to what it is that they want to say. Um, and there's, there's no one size fits all. There's no, well, this one's demonstrably more true than the other. And so you I really... think as well with a lot of philosophy, it, you get lots of really easy to grab quotes from very famous ancient philosophers that can be really easily used for about, 50 different uses that all conflict with each other because out of context and without the proofs or without the you know the examples and the models you can you can just get anything to fit whatever point you're trying to make and it sounds legit because yeah aristotle said it (laughs) Uh, i saw sorry go on no no you go ahead oh i was just going to say i think um philosophy going down this route of like all the crazy things that just did actually make my brain cry when you you two were just talking um can i think to some people seem a bit sort of like well why are we thinking about all this anyway like what point does it prove and in a way it sometimes doesn't sometimes doesn't but then in other ways i think philosophy can just be wonderful because i think opening your mind to some of these big ideas it's just even in and of itself, just joyful, like just exploring that, like the idea of infinity, like thinking about that thing of, you know, how far can this go? Human brains are really small, (laughs) small things, but you're not even, you know, you can go outside and look at the night sky and just thinking about the fact that those stars are so far away and, you know, about like just light years and the concept of like, light traveling from different stars that's showing us like stars in the past because it takes that long for the light to get there these like big ideas about the universe um can really be awe inspiring and amazing and just really yeah brain tingling Uh, and I, i do think that a lot of philosophy yeah like we say isn't necessarily to get to the the answers but to ask the questions and just asking the questions and discussing the questions is is worthwhile i think it's interesting that some of the big questions and i think this sort of proves the point i've just made some of the big questions that were sort of asked initially by these ancient philosophers like the ancient greek philosophers we've been talking about the questions are still around now which kind of gives me the indication that maybe we're definitely not going to get to uh, any sort of reasonable answers um but still the questions are asked and i think it's because of their inherent yeah awesome intriguingness um yeah that's all i had to say that and i think for however many years we've been uh tossing those questions around in our head we mm. we are just not equipped to answer every single question yet 
Um, when you think about like just our senses alone, like um, let's take like just the visible light spectrum and how tiny it is, right? For the total um, electromagnetic spectrum. It's this teeny tiny little sliver and that's all that we get to perceive in terms of our sight, right? So it kind of- but that, We uh, think that's what there is. And we, yeah, we think yeah. that our eyes are pretty good, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We have no idea. And um, like try to imagine a cover, color that's not Roy G. Biv, you know? <laughs> um, you just can't. So I kind of think that there are some philosophical questions that are the same way. Like it's, it's not that the question is too big, but like you said, I think it's our ability to process the information that might be too small. And I think the good yeah. thing about humans is there's that whole idea of standing on the shoulders of giants, isn't there? And so like, because of our ability as a species to be able to communicate and record information and share ideas really effectively or well, depending on who you are. Media really effectively. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but certainly slightly better than most of the species on Earth that we know of. Um, uh, there are things which which we have been able to, as a civilization, as a as a as humanity, develop and sort of yeah increase on. But individually, yeah, like you say, we're just really small and can only deal with diddly little things. Yeah, I should have made notes because there's so many things I want to say over the past. Five minutes that I've been thinking, yeah, I want to make a point on that. I want to make a point on that. Oh, I want no. make a point on that. Uh, the biggest one, I think, for me, was what Laura said with about um, uh, using philosophy to answer religious questions. I think the reason philosophy has advanced is because of religion. Because if you have a look at philosophy as it's uh, gone through from the ancient period to the modern period, it is pretty much exclusively asked questions of a religious nature mm-hmm. and relating to certain religious systems. Uh, certainly, like we mentioned earlier, Aquinas and people like that, they were Christian philosophers. They were, they were using philosophy to answer the difficult questions within Christianity. And with, then we talked about the Muslim period. We've spoke about that before on the show and, and the advancements that the Islamic scholars gave and one of which, unfortunately, was a cosmological <laughs> argument. <laughs> and it just won't go away. And it just won't go away. And yeah. it should have done. You bring up it's a really crap. good point with the, the religion being part of... So from, I guess from my perspective, it's, it's that they're sort of subsets of each other, right? So religion and philosophy, there's... It's like if you do a Venn diagram, there's a huge overlap, in my opinion. There are some differences. But I think that both at their core are seeking to answer questions that we don't have immediate answers to. None of them seek to answer like how to boil water or like, um, I guess someone tell you what to wear and what to eat. But um, most of the time, the deep questions that they're trying to answer are the same. Where did we come from? Where are we going? What happens after we die? How did we get here? And what's the nature of the universe, right? And religions just give people those answers as well, you know, like, and, and sort of saves people the, the effort of thinking. Um, whereas I think there are lots of philosophers and sort of lots of philosophical thought um, you know is sort of can we think of a a reason or a rationale about that outside of those religious perspectives potentially Um, but yeah I think because religions like you said do cover that same ground of the why Um, science often gives us the what doesn't always in some of those questions you're like what happens after we die we don't necessarily you know sometimes there might not be a way of investigating that but certainly those answers of you know why are we here 
So I think religion can often branch into those areas of philosophy that that give us the answers to those big why questions. You know, why are we here and uh, what's the, the purpose behind life, which I, I don't think, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the concept of us having a purpose. I don't think we need a purpose in life. I think we give ourselves purpose. And uh, I don't think there has to be some inherent big behind the scenes purpose. Um, but yeah, religions often yeah give us those answers to those questions. Uh, and it saves people the, the hassle of having to try and delve into the philosophy of it and trying to delve into the that sort of, yeah, internal investigations in your mind, really. So there's sort of something to be said about um, not every single person wants to be a scholar, huh? And some of us just mm. want the answers. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that until you just start accepting answers that may or may not be true. Then it becomes problematic. But I think I see what you mean in, in the terms of like the, the vast majority of people just want, tell me what it is and I'll accept it. And I'll crack on, yeah, with my yeah, life. We'll, we'll be good. I'll go back to work. I'll have my kids, you know. Life would be awesome. Whereas I think um, one area of um, philosophy, which I think nobody can escape really, is ethics. You know, thinking about morality judgments and and you can talk about it in in big fancy broad senses, but actually, you know, day-to-day decisions that you make about how you treat other people and what you prioritise in your life and all that stuff is an incredibly important part of being a human and, and the the decisions that you can make can have massive impacts on other people uh, and the lives that they leave lead as well definitely and uh again that's another area of philosophy where religion has had a huge stamp to make uh with its although interestingly enough i don't think no i've got that wrong <laughs> can we scratch that and start again <laughs> Nope, it's standard. Oh, you're going to be quoted on that, by the way. <laughs> you know I'm when you say something, something and then realize that what you said was wrong, and you're like, I just said that. I was thinking about something completely different <laughs> to what my mouth was saying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, mouth, back it up and get back on track. <laughs> so scratch that, yeah. Just ignore me. Just talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> okay, so while you're rearranging your thoughts, um going back to the, the um, ethical argument, what really blew me away when I started learning about philosophy, and this is the layman skeptic talking here, is, oh my God, how many different kinds of like ethical philosophies there are, right? Um, and I can't even remember the names right now. I don't know if it's just because we're recording live and my brain likes to go blank, but um, all the different forms of ethics where it's like, oh, okay, well, it's the outcome that's more important. No, it's the intention that's more important. And like, no, it's completely, you know, um, situational and you have to kind of weigh the, the options and um and then there's the no it's it comes from above and i god i wish i remembered like, that one's like the command authority or something like that or um I divine the divine command theory yeah, yeah. yeah divine command theory. Those, um sort of thought experiments out there if you know like the runaway train you know going down the track and there's like um people on the line i can't remember how many people are on what tracks or whatever but it, you've got to, you know that decision of do you just leave it? Oh, so there's like five people on the track, side to the track where the train is going to go, but you can pull a lever and divert the train onto a track where there's just one person. Um, and then like, do you decide to actively kill that one person or do you just passively, in inverted commas, 
leave the train to go and kill those five people and what's the greater good and do you have and it it's all those sorts of um things that i think about all the time and definitely don't have any any answers to because and this is a great thing one of the great things about philosophy because we we were talking earlier about how it can be a bit muddled and useless in places it does have real world implications and that yeah. particular yeah. thought experiment has been used in psychology and it does have a real world effect on how we relate to things and it's something that is quantifiable yep. that we can measure and, and see the results of why and how people make those decisions one of my favorite videos online is of the that problem being given to a two-year-old and the two-year-old takes all the people and puts them on the track together and kills all of them. <laughs> He's like the two-year-old that stamps on the ant, the ant hill, huh? Yes. <laughs> that's pretty, that's what my 10-year-old would do. He's so into video games. He'd be like, ooh, line them all up. Push the yeah. <laughs> but that brings up another interesting question as well. And I know we were kind of, you were talking about it kind of half jokingly, but as children, how is our our how are our ethics influenced by our parents and what we're taught or indoctrinated with, or does that have a major effect on the way we see the world? Can we can we be bad people because we've been taught bad ethics, or are we intrinsically all kind of innocent and can change that way around again? You know. We've been brought up in a bad, we may have been brought up in a bad system and given bad ethics, but once we're educated, we can see that good ethics are the best way to go and follow that line, or would are we, we stuck know, down the... Would we even know what good ethics or bad ethics were? Because, I mean, we could give that judgment, couldn't we, now on on an ethical system, yeah. but that's only on the basis of our current ethical standpoint, isn't it? Like, yeah. uh, because all of it is just so subjective, um yeah i think it's really interesting and things that you know i see lots of like deconversion stories of people who were brought up in like really strict religious families and whatever who were you know brought up to think that homosexuality was like the biggest sin that you could commit and uh then came to realize that actually it's like an innate biological thing that people can't control or they don't decide themselves and it's actually something that doesn't damage other people just it's not inherently bad you know like but because of the yeah like you said uh, jill of the indoctrination of that from a young age it makes you question things like other things that i think that i do believe are truly good or truly bad ethically but actually i've just got a skewed viewpoint because of how i've been brought up or maybe we've all got a skewed viewpoint and it does make you yeah consider those bigger things yeah. I, I actually know someone who was, sorry, Laura, I, I think this is, uh, I actually know someone and I'm not going to mention any names or any real particular religion because I don't want to out them in any way whatsoever. But this person was, has been brought up in a religious system. They are clearly gay without a shadow of a doubt. They knew they were gay and they went to their own religion to seek advice on it they didn't go they were advised they wanted help they went to the religion they were directed to one of their own religions therapists rather than an external therapist and they are still well they're now married in a in a straight cis marriage in a straight marriage 
uh, still denying the feelings and and who they are because all because they've been indoctrinated into that way of thinking. Because that's it's a, it's a, it has real world consequences. It's really harmful. Yeah, and when you talk back back to your original point where you were talking about, um, is it like nature versus nurture, and are you raised with certain ethics? I think getting rid of those ethics is easier said than done when they're challenged. And so I think it'd be like phenomenally unfair to a person to say, well, you are a bad person because like, it's, it's one thing to say, well, the ethics of that culture or the ethics of that person is bad. And here's why, here's the outcome and kind of bring people to that understanding. But to call a person bad, that's where I really struggle um, because I do think that nurture plays a very strong role in like recording or determining who we are. And, um, like what Gil said with, uh, well, you take for granted, like, I've just been taught that this is right. And it just, from my perspective, any information that you provide to me is going to go through this like right filter and, um, like deconverting. So I will, I will name names. So my husband and I, when we, when we deconverted from religion, like we had the talk, um, actually not too long ago, it was within this last year because we had raised the boys with a very Christian and then Muslim is very similar um, set of ethics surrounding sex and masturbation and stuff like that. I have three teenage boys. And so I sat down with him one day and I was like, I want to sit down and have another sex talk with them, a different one from a secular perspective. So you and I need to figure out what our beliefs are and where we both agree so that we're taking one story to the boys. We're not arguing with them. And at first he was like, no, masturbation is still bad. Well, why? And it, it took a while because I had already thought about it. I was one that brought it up. He had been you know, going around in my brain. I had done the reading, done the research. I was already primed and ready to change that ethical standpoint. And he hadn't even really thought about it. Um, so it took um, a few weeks of conversation of not, not like straight, but you know, an hour here, an hour there of conversation to finally get to the, the middle ground of, um, oh, it's not ethically bad just because I was taught it was ethically bad. But he had been taught that from day one to like, you know, age 39, that, that these concepts are bad. And it took a lot of breaking down those barriers and asking the why, why is it bad? Or where did you get that information? Or um, what information would change your mind? Like those kinds of conversations. So um, I can tell you that like um, a person's personal ethics, it's really hard to, um, to come to the conclusion that that person is ethically wrong or making an ethically bad decision if that's what they truly believe is the right thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but. No, it does. And like, uh, you, that sort of branches into like politics and stuff as well, and I, I don't want to go too far into that. But like, I, I I'm generally incredibly, I say general, I am incredibly left leaning in my politics, um, and like I often find it really difficult to understand lots of decisions that are made in the political realm by people on the other side of the spectrum because I, I view them as just ethically bad decisions, like, mm-hmm. and I can see harm that comes from it. But then I also know that people on the other side view my sort of opinions and views on things in the same light. Um, and none of it's, yeah, none of it's black and white. And it's, it's all, yeah, it's really difficult. Um, but we do all have strong opinions on things like that. Um, and I think it is hard to sort of disassociate yourself from your own ethics in order to try and see something as objectively as possible. Um, 
yeah, especially when you think it can do harm to people. Yeah, and I think the best way to overcome that has to come from the individual. They have the challenge, okay, I think this is wrong, or I think this is right. They have to be willing to say, why do I think this is wrong? And why do I think this is right? And what is the actual outcome? Um, which, I mean, it goes back to the conversation that you were saying earlier with the um, homosexuality and yeah. religions telling you that it's not okay. Um, you have to get to that point where you're willing to say, wait, 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 why is it not okay? Right. And if you're truly convinced that there's a God and you're truly convinced that that God is against this thing, it's, it's easier to understand why a person would have that. What I see as a very hateful, very horrible point of view to, to hold. Um, I almost have to be a little sensitive to them and say the belief is ethically bad because it, it demonstrably hurts people, but that individual literally thinks that they're doing the right thing. Right. And so it It brings us back around to epistemology again, then doesn't it? Like with the conversation you had uh, and, you know, asking the questions, why do you think that? What is your reasoning behind that? And it all brings us back to that. I think when we're dealing with any kind of ethics or philosophical thing, we have to use that to, to steal the term off Eric Murphy toolbox. Yeah. We need to improve our toolbox. It's so important that we, uh, and this this brings me, I didn't really want to come around to this, but this comes into the realms of neuroscience because what we do is we're incredibly, I think I must say this on every single episode we do of the show, we're incredibly crap thinkers. We're crap at thinking, we're crap at uh, getting that information that's out there into our brain and churning it around into something that makes sense we make mistakes our brains make mistakes all the time and it's so easy to say you are wrong you are wrong it's much much harder to say you know what i am i'm wrong or to say i "I don't know yeah yeah and it's it's we need to get that toolbox working so we can say i am wrong and by by assessing ourselves we can see how and where other people are making mistakes using that toolbox. I don't want to say that they're wrong because people, we're, you know, we're all prone to it. So people aren't bad because of it. It's not a good and evil thing. People aren't good or evil. People just don't know sometimes and they need educating. I'm not going to another education rant like I did on the ghosts episode. <laughs> no, but you do bring up a good point that, um, like, so, um, ethically speaking, we can say that an act is bad, but it's really a lot more difficult to ethically speaking say that a person is bad. There, I mean, it's I'm sure, sure there's cases like naughty children versus children doing naughty things. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I know that there's cases where that doesn't apply, where it's like, no, no, you knew what you were doing was wrong and you did it anyway. Um, I'm not saying that across the board, but I am saying that it it does take when you're saying something like. Um, when someone's truly convinced something is good now at that point, you have to really, that is where intention comes in and you have to consider whether or not someone's intention makes an act ethical or non-ethical. Yeah. I think, I think one of the, one of the hardest, I don't even believe I'm going to open this rabbit hole, especially at this stage in the show. I know we only have like (laughs) 10 more minutes. (laughs) When you get into, into like the question of veganism and, and that whole thing, of you know you're causing harm to sentient creatures and and i struggle uh, with that yeah i i 
I've I've got I've not got a simplistic. I've thought about it a hell of a lot. <laughs> I've, to me now, because I've thought about, I've got a. To me, it's a simple uh, argument, and I think that people who are vegan are ethically superior. Mm-hmm. Odd word to use than people who eat meat. Like I'm an eat meat eater, yeah. but I think I don't think anyone his is morally justified to become vegan you don't have to be vegan I, th- I think that argument of you have to be vegan otherwise you're bad is, is it doesn't hold up because if you examine each argument for veganism each individual argument they've all got flaws in them mm-hmm. which which we can go into it we can do a show on veganism we actually should itself. we should add veganism to the list yeah yeah, I've uh, I've I've had this conversation with lots and lots of vegans. That's another thing I say every episode, isn't it? No matter what we're talking <laughs> about, I've had I've just I'm just incredibly old, and I've had a lot of conversations. No, you're talkative, <laughs> and that's that's good because now you have a lot of. Um, it's like you have your little bookshelf of of anecdotal stories. <laughs> I think that that, yeah. that that's really important. It kind of adds something to the conversation, so it's really yeah. Good but to have. I think it was important to raise. On, on the ethical ground, although I, I don't want to go down it too much in this episode. I just wanted to bring it attention to it, shall we say. Yeah. So we are coming up kind of towards the end. So I did want to pose one more question and we're gonna, like getting kind of away from ethics, but still staying in the realm of philosophy. Um, so we talked about religion earlier as being related to philosophy or having a lot of overlaps, um, whether you think they're exactly the same or separate or whatever, but religious belief, like, I believe the Hindu religion is right, or I believe the Christian religion is right. Do you think that philosophers have the same um, or can suffer the same fate of becoming religious with their views and things like, um, well, I'm a naturalist or I'm a um, presuppositionalist or, you know, I'm just kind of like throwing out terms here, but once they've decided their philosophy, do you think that that philosophers can fall into that same trap? I think it's really easy once you've once you feel like you've put thought and effort and you've gone through that process of deciding yourself right you know there are all these possibilities and this is the one out of all of them in my mind that makes the most sense I think it's really easy to then sort of sit there quite firmly and and close yourself off to other things obviously we're here as as skeptics and we we try not to do that but I think all of us are probably inclined to um and I think yeah I think philosophy could uh potentially be the same you know if people are you know like like you said about Kalam cosmological argument is still around and definitely shouldn't be but it's because people cling on to things that they have thought about and that make sense sense to them and I guess that's a, a fatal flaw in God's design of humans isn't it <laughs> I'm not sure if I've understood you properly I'm going uh me or Laura. So let's say, let's say um, I say I'm a determinist, right? Is it possible that I'm just as religious in my belief of determinism that um, a Christian might be in their Christian belief where I shut off um, critical thinking and reasoning at a certain point and just say, nope, this, like what Gil was saying, like I've thought about it. It makes sense to me. No matter what you say, this is where I'm at. Right. Yeah. I did misunderstand you. Um, yeah. I think, I think it is possible to be like that. I think it, I think it is, but um, from the question I thought you were asking, I'd like to actually answer that one as sure. well. <laughs> but do tell us what you thought. 
No, I do agree with you. I do agree that somebody who's, who's thought about something like that can be as dogmatic about it as someone with a religious belief. Dogmatic uh, is a much better word, yeah. The, yes. the question I thought you were asking was, can do people who have formed philosophical opinions become religious because of those philosophical opinions? And I think the answer is no. I think I, I don't think anybody has ever been convinced to become religious because they've heard the Cologne cosmological argument. Is it a bit normal the other way around? So people. Yes, th- yeah, that was the next point I was going to get to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think people, I think people who have religious beliefs take grab the best argument that fits those beliefs from philosophy to apply it to that and say, well, look. I've got evidence for this because ex-philosopher says this is the case. And because it's in the realm of philosophy and not in the realm of Christianity or Islam or Hinduism or whatever, it therefore holds more weight. Yeah. I think another point to make on that fine song, going off on another tangent. No, go, go. You can close the show out. (laughs) Another point to make on that point is that if you have a look cross-religion, you might have a, a Christian, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, and they're all, I'm going to be very general here, so don't pick me up on this because I'm using this just as an example. Mm-hmm. They've all got kind of opposing beliefs, but they're all using the same epistemological framework to back up those beliefs. I think that's generally fair. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of the core arguments are all exactly the same. Um, now they're referencing different texts, but and they're saying slightly different things, but I think the arguments um, have a lot of overlap. Yeah. Well, we have pretty much come to the end of this one, gentlemen. Um, who wants to plug our stuff for us? Me. I awesome. would love to. <laughs> uh, do it. Do it. Got my brain from crying for a little bit, and we can uh, talk <laughs> about some real life actual things, such as our Facebook group, which is a great. Um, place to go for all sorts of discussion and topics and where you can find out what all the things uh, that all of us are getting up to on our channels or on other places or especially here uh, so please like that if you have not already subscribed to this channel or podcast please do so share it with your loved ones um, i know easter's coming up very soon it can be a nice easter treat for people to share and it won't pack. cost you a dime not not a single penny um <laughs> Yeah, no, we're we're fledgling uh, a, f- a fledgling little show, and any support we really appreciate. So, uh, thanks to everyone who's shown us support so far. Really, yeah. And awesome. talking about the uh, um, the discussion group we've got on Facebook, yes, that is actually getting some good discussion in there. It's starting to pick up. Absolutely, the UFO, the UFO episode, which has got some really people are posting links to stuff, uh, you know, arguing with us. <laughs> And sharing sharing the post around. Yeah, I'm super excited yeah. about that. It's brilliant. And that's exactly yeah. what we want. We want you to interact with us on there. That's why we set it up. That's why we've got we've got the page which we can just shove information out on. We set the discussion group up specifically for audience participation. That's exactly what we want. Go in there, Absolutely. shout at us, give us ideas, talk to us. Anything goes. Yeah, see, we get we get the first hour of the conversation, everybody. But then after that, it's everybody. And that's the secret of us being such a, a small show at the moment and just fledgling. Like, we have time to talk to everyone who talks to us. 
<laughs> right. So take advantage now, people. I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and close this out. So thank you guys all for joining us. I think this one has been really, really fun. I think there's a lot more we could have delved into. So I'm hoping that maybe we can break apart some pieces of philosophy and do other episodes maybe down the line, maybe just ethics or something like that. Um, But in the meantime, we are Laura. Richard. And Richard. And this is a Skeptic Hangout. Until next time. Keep questioning. Interrogate your beliefs. And stay skeptical. Bye. Bye.